Uh, welcome to the Fox Rugby Podcast. We're joined by Sam Worthington and Christy Doran from foxsports.com.au and special guest this week, former Wallaby and Waratah star Dean Mum. Dean, thanks very much for, for joining us. Now, we're going to talk about uh, something very special that you've got coming up. We'll talk about that in a little while, but obviously you're keeping a close eye on your Waratahs teammates. What have you made of their season so far? Yeah, I spoke to them early and I thought, well, I saw them before the comp started and I thought if you get that win, the Stormers first, and then go away and pick up one of those wins away from home, it would have been a cracker, cracker of a start to the year. But to miss out on those, probably to miss out on the two points in Durban, um, and then last week, yeah, it's a so-so start rather than one that, that's good and sets you up to come home because also a little bit, takes long people uh, people a while here in Sydney to understand that rugby started. Yeah. So if you get a couple of good wins early up, that means that this game, particularly given how, how well the Rebels have started, becomes a really great and important game, which it still is, but you get more of a crowd behind it as well. So there's sort of two elements of it. I think, I think they'll do all right. I think you know, it's a bloody tough travel schedule, so they might be hurting a bit at the start of this week. But um, yeah, no one likes yeah, no one likes losing to another conference in Australia, and the Rebels, particularly being top notch as they appear they are at the moment, this will be a big game for them. Yeah, well, Dan, like how deflating though is it though? We saw last year that the Tars one of their worst seasons on record, and then I suppose some of those demons come back. This week we've been pumped really, 38-28, but it was really um, what 20, the four tries inside the first 20 minutes for for the Haguaras. Yeah, 26 nil after 20 odd minutes. It's not a great start, and that's kind of a little bit how it was last year and playing there. So it wasn't that often we wouldn't lose by that much, but mm. the game was never a competition, which is what the nature of last weekend was. It wasn't wasn't a natural competition because the points were so blown out. So. You play a catch-up game. You don't play the style of game you want to play because the scoreboard's dictating how you should and you shouldn't play from there on in. So, I mean, like sort of 15, 20 minutes into the game, you, there was a, you know, a shot from 15 out. But when you're down by 21 points, you've got to go to the corner and you've got to chase points instead of taking that, that natural three-point shot as you probably would any other time. So it sort of changes the, make, changes the way you make decisions and therefore forces you to... Um, to play in a style that you, you really don't want to and you certainly haven't planned for before the game. Yeah, what have you seen from the Waratahs' tactics this season? They've been pretty open. They've got a, a smaller pack than, than some of their rivals and they're trying to play an up-tempo um, game and, and obviously they've been tested at, at scrum time. But yeah, do you think the the way they're going can can bring them some success going forward? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think you, you, if you want to play an up-tempo game, you need to play an up-tempo game and, you know, being open about your tactics is, is very good, but it also becomes very evident how you might, you know, naturally, if you're looking at that and someone's saying you're playing up-tempo game, what do you do? You just go, well, we play a slow-tempo game and try and affect it the way they naturally want to play. Whether or not... And so the challenge for the Tars is to is to, to become masters of their own destiny, so always manage that they want to play an up-tempo game, let's do it and let's go after it. And I think when they do do that, they start to look all right. You know, they're, they're trying to play in that front line a little bit, but they've always got options out the back, so... If, that, if, if you've got a smaller pack or a smaller side, you can't be necessarily as confrontational as you want to be. So having those options and varieties around, you know, to be able to play out the back to get to wits, to use your backs is probably pretty handy. Um, particularly if you don't have, you know, sort of three or four major ball carriers. But if you look at the Rebels somewhere now, you know, they've got um, particularly Lopetti there and, and, and Amanaki Murphy as two big ball carriers. A lot of the Kiwi sides are running sort of 
two, if not more, including probably one decent ball carrier in the second row. So Waratahs need to get there. You can't move away from being confrontational, but you can be confrontational and high tempo at the same time. You look at uh, the Rebels so far, and um, and as you say, this is going to be a huge match on, on Sunday afternoon. Great to see a bit of afternoon footy at Allianz Stadium, but huge, huge game. And, and the Rebels... Um, so far, have managed to bully sides. Like they've, they've got a flashy backline, but they've also got this, you know, powerful <coughs> forward pack. And and the danger for the Waratahs is that that's going to happen again. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't want to talk negative of the Waratahs. You don't want to be that bike at all. Um, but I, I don't think the Waratahs lack in terms of defensive ability to, to be able to show, like, slow that down. But it's where you can do that for the full 80. That's what happens when it, you, know, you, f- you feel like you've got a bigger pack plays a weaker pack. They might stand up for the first 60 minutes, but you might get pay in the back 20. And that's kind of been how the, what the Rebels have been doing it. They've been winning in the last sort of mm-hmm. 20 minutes coming through and, and using their force. So you do a lot of damage with the big fellas, sub them out, and then, then work and get some pay off the back. Particularly when you've got a, um, for the Rebels, uh, when you've got someone like Willie Genia who can, who can play that role and he can, he can choose to play up or slow tempo using his kicking game, that becomes, you know, the better his forward pack goes, the more influential he can be on a game. So the challenge for the Waratahs really is is to to take apart that, that advantage or perceived advantage in um, big ball carriers, Lepetti, Amanaki, Murphy, those guys. You chop them down, stop tackles, don't give them momentum. You also limit uh, Willie Genia's ability and influence on the game. Matt Lucas is the only guy I've seen been able to bring down Amanaki Marshy yes. so far with that sneaky <laughs> gut punch. They, uh, the, the Tars have lost him. That was, yeah, that, I was like that. that was quite a moment. It's yeah. pretty, pretty important, and you guys might have a view on this as well. Um, and I know that everyone's got their, their own loyalties, but important for Australian rugby that the Rebels have started well like this. It, it kind of, and Force fans, I'm sure, will have something to say about this, but it almost justifies the 5-4. to four. If, if all these talented Force players had gone to the Rebels and they still couldn't fire, there would have been a lot of people going, why, you know, why did we go through the pain? What, what were we doing? But the fact that they are firing, they kind of they had to to justify that decision. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and... Um yeah, you've got a lot of people sort of coming out of the woodwork saying, "Well, of course they were always going to go go well because they got all these got all these players from the force." But uh, the reality was they weren't actually tipped that that heavily at the start of the season. Where I think people thought they'd take a long time to hit their straps. So yeah, quite remarkable that they sit uh, on, on their overall ladder. They're now the clear number one after after having the wooden spoon last season. So clearly they're going to have bigger tests to come, and, and the Waratahs will be won this weekend. But yeah, it somewhat justifies it, and I think the Reds also delivering so far. You you know, it does show that there has been some benefits of that uh, that uh, very painful culling process, I guess. Yeah, certainly. I suppose as well, like, back on all the force players coming to the Rebels and one of the reasons why that, that people weren't backing them was because of the huge influx of players. But I suppose with the force guys coming, at least it was one massive crop of players with the coach too, so it wasn't a whole bunch of players from here and there and mm. everywhere. So... Clearly, uh, that's helped. And Dave Vessels is... You compare him and uh, just Daryl Gibson at the moment, and then the two of them, they are approaching this this Sunday game. Completely different emotions, I dare say, because Gibson is under a a lot of pressure. uh, He's admitted it. He said even before the season started, you know, I'm I'm probably being done a few favours to to still be there. He he admitted that he'd been cut some slack. Mm. And so I guess that pressure is 
is building once again. Is that fair, that pressure? Do you think, Dane, so I, you know, the, the, the TARS clearly said that Daryl Gibson, you're the coach going forward for 2018. Is it fair for four weeks into the season or three weeks into the season for, for Gibson to be under such a close microscope? Oh, not really. Um, I mean, you look at, they won the game at home and then lost, you know, only lost one away with a draw in, draw in South Africa. Draw in yeah. South Africa. It's, it's really not a bad start to the mm. season. It's it's an average, like it's a par start. It's not a above par or anything, but I don't think it's fair for Daryl to be under heat. You know, Daryl's come in, he's got a, a new coach in, in Mike Cron. Um, he's come in there as well. Um, so, yeah, you know, like it, it's a huge, it's, there's a big change going on there. And I don't, I don't think it's fair that there's pressure on Daryl. But, you know, the other points you were talking about before, I mean, I think there's an element of culture in both the Reds and the, and the Rebels that's making a huge difference. Like, the Rebels are united behind a, a yeah, pretty significant why, and they all feel like they got well and truly stiffed mm. last year. Mm. Both probably the Rebels on the front that they didn't perform so well, so there's a lot to prove. But then you've got the force and the force coach coming in, thinking, well, yeah, a big collective... Um, middle finger to the ARU and say, listen, we, you know you've cut us, but we're going to prove you wrong here. And then the Reds are um, Reds are, are choosing to fight it a bit alone. You know, um, Thorny's he's made some pretty solid calls on his squad and who he wants there. And uh, and it looks like the boys are getting in behind him and, and they've, they're going to be a little bit, it's uh, no one believes we can do it. And mm. they're both pretty big motivators on, on how you go forward. And that's early on shown to be... Um, to be pretty pretty evident and pretty poignant. You hear people say, um, "Oh, you know, such and such a coach is, you know, he's a guy that you know his men really want to play for." Um, you would imagine that that happens in in most setups um, most of the time. But you know, thinking back through your career, can you think of the coaches that just had that little bit more that had had all the guys buying into to culture and and the way they wanted to to play the game? We just totally on board and that, that perfect scenario. Can you think back throughout your career? Those yeah, times? absolutely. Um, I mean, I think clearly checks someone that's, that can do that um, in, a, in a certain way. I think you look back to that journey into the World Cup there where, the, you know, you kind of, everything around you is just, a, you don't pay any attention to it because you know exactly what you're doing. You kind of get this internal... It's a little bit of a, you know, when you look at it from the outside, kind of like almost a selfish intent that you know what you have to do and you know you have to do it with your, with your mates and you're going to go get it done. And Czech can, can definitely do that. But also, you know, I think, um, you know, I think I've been part of that. Probably while I was at Exeter away um, in, in the UK, they had an element of that as well, where, um, which is why I can resonate with the Reds and perhaps the Rebels when someone says you can't do it and then everyone in the team and the coach is saying, well, I know we can, and we're going to do it, and we're going to show them. That's a pretty big motivator, and you know, I think you always you can go back to the reason why and why people are doing this as a collectively as a team, and, um, and that makes a, a really big difference. It's an interesting point. I think we've seen that with the the Brumbies last season. They were, they were written off because Poey wasn't there and Christian was away, and they 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 got that underdog mentality back in their heads, and, and they really delivered. And this season, they get talked up, and the, they're falling flat so far. So, just an interesting point on on the coaching there. Like, is it is it Coaching at that level, is it more about man management and, and motivation than, than the technical or, or tactical side? Is that what separates the, the really good coaches? Yeah, I mean, a little bit. But, you know, you're never going to appreciate a guy that doesn't know what's actually going on on the ground floor, you know. If you've, you're a CEO in business or a coach, you've still got to know what's happening. You've got to have a general feel on what your players. So you can't be unattached to what's going on. But definitely that, the, the really great coaches have the ability to do that and understand, but also... Um, 
understand the motivation and the feel of the group that they pick up and then know how to know, know how to put that onto a field. You know, in the end of the day, coaching's a bloody hard job because you when you get tested, when you get judged, you're not actually you got nothing to do with it. Yes. Yeah. You know, so it's it's really key for them to do all they can and know they all they can and manage their people in the best possible way, including those people who aren't getting picked, keeping them on board and going forward, um, and, and and making sure that the job gets done. Just back to how we got onto this subject, you, you mentioned that the Rebels and the, and the Reds, you saw a real culture in that side at the moment. Did you see that culture in the, the Waratahs last year when you when you were still there? Oh, I think it's uh, no less so, I, to be honest. Um, and I don't think I don't think speaking to Daryl or Hoops or any of the boys that were there, then you, you feel like there were, you were necessarily particularly at the back end of the year you, you start to lose. You, you had that feeling when you're part of something special, and that's when cultures are really powerful is when you feel like you have a... No one really knows what else is going on, but you know it's pretty special and the feeling grows and the better you do, it grows and gets bigger and more powerful as you do it. So um, we probably didn't have that, the Waratahs. Um, yeah, and I'm sure they're working very hard to to create that at the moment. But you get a sense, and, and often perception is reality on this thing. So when you look from the outside and you get a sense that there's something special going on, um, that's the nature of sport. That's why as a fan, you want to jump on, you want to be part of it as well. Quick thought on the Brumbies. I don't know whether you've seen much of the Brumbies, but obviously, you know, the, the big story is that they are in this uh, state of transition from being very sort of forward-oriented uh, game over the last few years, which has worked to an extent for them in that they've finished top of the Australian Conference. Now trying to play a bit more expansive, a bit more ball-in-hand, a bit more up-tempo game. And obviously it's taken some time to work. Again, think back through your career, how, how long... Do you persist and how long do you do you stick at the task of changing the way you play before you actually go, well, hang on, maybe we just do what we're good at? I reckon you've got to do it for a couple of years, to be honest. That um, yeah, I, I mean, one of the great things, one of the worst things you can do is keep changing what you're trying to do. So everyone gets confused. No one knows what to do. They don't know whether you're playing by the old style, they don't know whether you're playing with the new styles. And you probably end up sitting somewhere in the middle, confused as to what actually works. And the more you think about it, the more confused you get, you know, you, you get, you know, like it's like Inception, you get three or four days, three or four levels down, you know, you might not come out. So it's like... Still don't get that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or perhaps my reference then. <laughs> but, you know, you've got to stick at it. You know, they, they're changing from, from how Bernie was running it and his belief into a new coach and his belief. Uh, and it's not going to happen straight away. There's no way it's going to happen straight away. But it doesn't mean that... that yeah, maybe maybe in the last six weeks it clicks and they start firing pretty well. Maybe the damage is already done. I think one of the great issues in Australian rugby is we're so year to year focused. Mm. Maybe maybe teams should be planning to win the tournament four years out. Maybe you know, like they do in AFL. Maybe you build your squad and you build your people around you. Problem here is we don't know what the competition looks like in two years' time. Mm. So how do you do that? And you know you're resource stricken. So it needs to be year to year in a certain sense, but. Planning-wise, why not plan to win it in three or four years' time? You build your squad and work your way up. And then it takes two or three years, to, to two years to absolutely know how you want to play and you tinker with what you've got. It's just tough. It's tough to do that and whether people give you the chance to do it. Yeah, and, and the, the marketing department and the sponsorship department, whether they give you the chance to do it. It's, you know, the, the demand is there for immediate success and patience not often matching. Um, one of the reasons we got you in was we really wanted to hear what you're up to a much publicised uh, journey to the the North Pole, which is remarkable, but there's so much more of a story behind it. So just d- 
details first up, I guess, about what is coming your way over the next few weeks. Yeah, so I leave uh, leave next week to go to London, um, and then from London on April 5, I go to the North Pole via um, up through Norway, um, through an area called Svalbard and a tower called Longyearbyen, and we do four, about four or five days there um, training. Um, I don't really know what training involves. <laughs> I'm pretty green on some of this element. But for me, it's going to be learning how to cross-country ski because I've never done that. Right. I haven't skied for 15 years, so... Good luck. A rough idea of what snow looks like. I'm sure I'll find out. But um, And then from there, we go up to this Russian research station, which is it's 100k off the North Pole and um, right on the ice flows. So you're on, you know, you're on ice floating above the Arctic Ocean. So actually, yeah, you kind of want it to be pretty cold because warm and melt doesn't doesn't do anything for you when we certainly won't have any canoes so um and from there we it's 100 k's into the pole um we'll do that in about four or five days so 20 25 k's a day with a 40 kilo sled behind us so it's gonna be a fair physical challenge um and then the reason behind it is it's probably more important you know i keep talking about the the why and why you do it but that's that's why we're doing it. i'm doing it for a charity called born um, which does research into into premature birth and uh, my wife Sarah and I, we lost um, a little girl Sophie and a little boy Henry. Sophie was at 21 weeks gestation. Henry was born at 28 and then died nine days later. So for us, it's something pretty, um, really, you know, really personal tale. And then so many other people, there's eight of us on the trip. Um, Will Greenwood, who, who you know, most, some of the listeners might know, played for England. He's the patron of the charity. Um, you know, Nick, you've been through this as well with premature birth. And um, we're trying to do something about it, trying to make a difference, trying to raise some money and, and one, stop it. One of the keys is, and, and I've learnt this from you, is that um, you know millions and millions of dollars all around the world with various medical um, systems is put into keeping premature babies alive. But a small amount, a minuscule amount of that same money is actually put into why premature birth happens. And that's what born is is so uh, important for is is finding a, a why not necessarily a yeah how. that's right so for example in in yeah because premature birth is the number one cause of death and disability in children under five so yeah 75 percent of all disabilities so people around you know cystic fibrosis all all the way down to those the kids in wheelchairs that you know have a you know a tough life ahead of them. That a lot of that is contributed. Seventy-five that's contributed to premature birth. So there's a huge element of it. In the UK alone, they spend over a billion dollars uh, a year on issues relating to premature birth. And if you could just keep every child in, inside the womb for one week longer, then you could uh, you could save the NHS. I think it's uh, I think it's seventy-five or oh, seventy-five million pound. Mm. A year, wow. you know. So there's a huge social economic side that comes with it, you know. And, and so, so many things in, in the development of a child happen when they're inside the womb. So it's all really important from from a research point of view, just to keep children in there. It's how it happens is gets pretty complicated pretty quick. When I speak to the professors and, and glaze over a little bit when they start talking about other little things, but the inherent the, the basis of it was just spending money to find a way to keep babies inside the womb for just a, a little bit longer. What sort of response have you got from the rugby community since you've announced that you're doing this? And, and also, how can people help out with, with this cause, mate? Um, yeah, the rugby community's been great. A lot of people, uh, we had a dinner a little while ago. We had 500, over 500 people in the room. Um, we raised about 140k that night. Uh, and then through Born and the whole network of, you know, it's a global charity, they've raised a bit over 
650,000 pound now from this, which is a which is a pretty great achievement. Um, if you want to support me, then go to the Born website, which is born.org.uk, um, and then there's details to go. You can follow follow me and others on the trek as we do it. Um, but also in Australia here, we've collabor- collaborated with the Hunter Medical Research Institute, HMRI. Um, same people that do the Mark Hughes charity and a couple others. Um, so that if, if Aussies out here want to donate, um, you can go there and get tax flexibility, all that sort of stuff. So there's an Everyday Hero page there. And if you go search Everyday Hero and the Arctic and Dean Mum, then you'll, you'll find me in there and um, give anything you can. It all goes towards a, a really great cause. Dana, it must have been just devastating. I lost a, a, an older brother as well who, who died in similar circumstances. It must have been, though, you being a public figure, playing week in, week out, it would have been devastating and at times, I, I dare say, really difficult to, to front up and play throughout your professional career as well. Yeah, I mean, it was. All of this happened when I was in the UK, so you're, you know, for the hard thing, particularly for my wife and, and for me, I suppose, we're away from your traditional support network. So it's a little bit different, um, but full credit to the Chiefs and, and other places for, for really making us feel welcome um, after a while in that. And I, rem- I actually remember going to, to training one day, and it was a wet day, shitty day, who would have thought, in England. <laughs> um, but while, while um, Henry was still in hospital, he was still in intensive care, and I went down to training, and the boys are like, oh, what are you... What are you doing here? You know, like, but you want to get back to normality. You want to try and you want to try and have a regular day, um, and it probably ended up, you know, didn't didn't make any effect either way. It just is what it is. You try and make it. You try and do what you know. And for me, that was rugby, and, and for me, that was hanging out with the boys and talking some pretty um, pretty rubbish banter, which is what happens in a dressing room. And um, yeah, that's part of the enjoyment. It's probably actually some of the stuff that uh, help help me move on and get on with it but there's no there's no secret everyone has a pretty um some pretty shitty times in life um but what you just got to keep going and, and you'll find a way to get through it and the flip side to that is little alfie who is happy and healthy two and a half yeah about two and a half was born the week of the uruguay game during the 2015 rugby world cup and that was the week you captained australia for the first time so you know sort of things things turn around yeah peaks and troughs aren't yeah. they you know um yeah, I mean that's one of the one of the great weeks of my life. Um, you know, well, you get to play two games in one week, which is pretty rare. Um, <laughs> and then uh, you know, had Alfie in the middle, and uh, and then got to skip the Wallabies. It was, I mean, that's a pretty great week. And uh, and yeah, you know, I suppose what you learn from all of this is you don't take anything for granted. Um, you know, we would love to be one of those couples that has regular pregnancies. It's not us. Um, we get a different challenges, but yeah, you know, when you when you get to pick up, you know, Alfie's just around the corner here at daycare when you go pick him up and get walking back to the car at the end of the day, that's a pretty good little treat, you know, so you don't take any of those things for granted. You were saying uh, just before we came on here that you've lost about eight or nine kilos for this uh, trip, so what sort of training have you been doing and just, just talk through the actual uh, logistics, I guess, of, of what you have to do to, to get up to the North Pole. Yeah, um, yeah I've lost a bit of weight. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, so training is not difficult. It's certainly not complicated. There's no periodic phasing or anything that goes on it's just here's your tire and a harness and get walking um so i've been i've been walking down the beach um yeah i did a fair bit at palm beach i've done a little bit around here and um and then down at tunks park as well so i'm up to uh two tires for about an hour and a half just just trudging away uh, yeah, how big are these tires mate oh about a four drive tire so 
15, 20 kilos, and um, you just plod away, you know. It's great that I'm on podcast. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and things trying to <laughs> keep, my, to keep myself sane. I won't listen to myself. I hate the sound of my own voice. But, um, yeah, that's that's kind of how you do it. And But, you know, when, when it won't. You can't, I can't acclimatise to the cold. Um, you know, I can, I, you know, I've had some lovely people support me, people with Icebreaker, they've come on and they've given me heaps of, um, yeah, merino stuff. So it's it's still while you're at, you know still breathing, but still um, really warm. But in the end of the day, you just got to throw some big bloody jackets on, some big boots, and get at it. And you know, I haven't been in the Woolies freezer or anything like that. I haven't been uh, climatizing. There's no, there's nothing I can do for minus twenty to minus forty degree uh, temperatures. Um, but you know the, the other side of it is you've got to you've got to drink a lot of water and you've got to eat a mountain of food while you're out there because you expend so much just staying warm. So it's about 6,000 calories a day. Oh. Um, and then you've got to drink about six litres of water. Wow. Because you've got to melt your own water as well. So you've got to get up in the morning and dig the snow up and get back in your tent and melt it and throw it in a thermos and drink it throughout the day. So it'll be, um, it'll be a fair challenge. Well, we wish you all the very best of luck. We hope that you come back with all your, your fingers and toes. Yes, my well. nose I'm worried about. Your I want nose. to keep my nose. Yeah. <laughs> nose. Um, no, it's, it's terrific. And, and obviously, it's a, it's a wonderful cause, very personal to you. Uh, thanks for sharing your story and for, for joining us on the Fox Rugby Podcast. No worries. Thanks for having me. Uh, so good to catch up with Dean Mum and uh, what an adventure he has in front of him and, and for a good cause as well. Now, talking about catching up with people, Christy, you caught up with Aidan Toa from uh, the Reds. They are off to Argentina this weekend taking on the Jaguares and interested to get uh, Aidan Toa's thoughts on the Reds season so far. This is just some of that chat. Well, Aidan Toa, thanks very much for joining us on the on the Fox Rog- Rugby Podcast. Aidan, you've just got off the, the, the flight from Brisbane recently and you're in Buenos Aires now. Yeah, um, yeah. thanks for having me, Christy. Um, yeah, long flight. Um, Brisbane, Sydney, Santiago, and now Buenos Aires. But we're here now. We've just had our first little run around. Um, so it's nice to get the body moving again. And um, yeah, looking forward to the um, to build up to the game this weekend. Before we get into the nitty and the gritty kind of stuff, uh, the flight, more than a day really of travelling. Who are you? Uh, who are you sitting next to? And who are you rooming with on tour? Um, I was I was fortunate enough on the big flight to sit next to the dock. Um, so when I had trouble sleeping, um, just had a couple of melatonin and a little sleeping pill, which um, did the trick. Um, and and um, I'm rooming with the electric Filippo Danduni. Danduna. Well, there he is, the two flyers in the team. Um, look, this isn't, this isn't your first time to Argentina. Of course, you were with the Brumbies last year and you had an outstanding win uh, against the Haguaras. So, so it's not your first time. What's it like, though, being back in Argentina? Um, yeah, it's really nice. Um, when I came here with the Brumbies, we came sort of in the middle of the year, so it was a bit colder. Um, but the weather here is beautiful at the moment. And... You know, it's, it's a lovely, lovely city, um, you know, lots of history behind it and really nice architecture and it's, yeah, it's big and there's lots to do, so uh, it's nice to be back. Well, I bet it is and, and I'm sure it even helps even more coming off the back of, of two wins. At the start of the season, two wins from your, your three opening fixtures, you would have taken it, I'm sure. Um, yeah, you know, we've we've um we've been pretty happy with the way things have gone the last um 
the last couple of weeks, um, and I think it was a good time for us as a team to get away. And as you said, especially winning um, before the tour, it makes the plane trip over a lot more enjoyable. Um, but yeah, you know, it's been a been a pretty, pretty good start to the um, to the year, and I think the exciting thing is, you know, there's lots, there's still lots and lots of room to improve. Um, so you know, we were able to ground out um, two really hard fought wins. Um, and yeah, as I said, it's a good time to come on tour and just stay connected as a group. And yeah, we're looking forward to the next two weeks ahead. Of course, the, the Reds coming up at a 20 points to 14 win over the Bulls. Look, in pre, I know that you weren't at the Reds in previous years, but uh, do you think that the Queensland Reds of 2017 or 2016, perhaps even, could have been able to ground out that win last week because there were some shaky moments at the end, a penalty right on the stroke of full time, the Bulls kicked to the corner, and some outstanding defence forces a turnover. What, what about the, on the feeling on the field? Did you get the sense that, or oh, here we go again? Um. <laughs> uh, well, like, it's hard for me to comment on sort of what the Reds in the past, how they would have reacted or how they would have done in that, those situations. But, um, you know, I've only been here for, you know, seven or eight weeks and, you know, you can feel, uh, you can feel the difference in this group. Um, you know, they're very, they're very close, they're very tight, um, they're very young. And, you know, they're excited and, um, you know, a lot of them have come through with Sony in the, um, the Queensland country, um, with the NRC and, um, you know, he's, Sony's a great leader and he's just really just, um, embedded in everyone, the, just the willingness to enjoy the fight and enjoy the tough road, as he likes to say. And, um, you know, there were a couple of tense moments against the Brumbies and the Bulls. Um, but, you know, you know, we never really felt, um, like that we were going to let it slip out there. You know, the chat was very confident and, you know, we we're making, I think, Jono and uh, Jono controlled the game really well, um, on Saturday night. Um, and, you know, having him, you know, he's obviously got a lot of experience, helps this younger, younger squad and, you know, we're growing with every game and, um, you know, the belief is growing, the confidence is growing and, um, yeah, we're, you know, we're sitting pretty nicely at the moment. Certainly, uh, look, one, obviously the, the Reds' pack was, uh, has been getting a lot of the headlines of late and, and of course Brad Thorne is, as well is going to be brought into that. From a back's perspective, you're playing fullback at the moment. What does Brad Thorne do to a player like yourself? Um, he just he gives you a lot of confidence. Um, you know, he just he just sort of wants you to go out there and just do your job for the team, and you know that's all he asks of um, anyone on the field or that anyone who wants to run onto the field. So um, you know, he gives you room to express yourself, and he loves he loves the fact that you know we have guys in the team like Sabu and Filippo and you know Chrissy Sortia. Um, who have had that X factor and are able to sort of break games open, but you know, at the at the bones of the team, you know, he wants a uh, like tough team, you know, teams that, a team that won't give up, and you know, that's how that's whatever I've sort of been working hard on. And um, you know, at different times in the game, guys will have the ability to break games up, but as long as that solid foundation is there. Um, I think that's what he's pretty happy about. Yeah, you can certainly say Brad Thorne's uh, shine and success rubbing off on, on the team. I probably should have started with this. I suppose your try in the second half, I think it was in the 47th minute or so, really was the, the game-changing moment. We, we all know that Brad Thorne built his career on, on defence and hard work and attitude. 
but one thing that I'm sure a lot of people are wondering is is how the side's going to continue to score points. And we saw a moment with with Filippo, your uh, your roomie on this tour, where he where he put his head down, he spotted the gap, and he ran, and and that created the try from the, the counter attacking moment. Is that something that the Reds uh, yeah. are also going to continue to try to work on and, and build on going forward? Yeah, I think definitely. Um, I think with Filippo, the, um, he's only sort of started playing rugby the last year, um, you know, which still amazes me. But the good thing about that is he doesn't really think about things too much. And um, I sort of just, I had a word to him before and I just said, mate, when you catch it, just run. Because he's electrifying, he's strong, he's explosive and, you know, he's one of those guys that can create things. Um, but yeah, as a backline, you know, we review the games and um, we obviously went trialless against the Brumbies um, and we scored a couple against the Bulls. But, you know, going through, we left, like, we're creating a lot of opportunities and it's just maybe that last bit of execution um, which is letting us down a little bit. Um, but we feel like we're going pretty well. Um, the communication out there as well, and um, we're, we've had like we've had the majority of the possession the last few games, so you know we're doing the ball well. Um, and we're creating space, creating gaps, and it's just you know finishing the last little bits, which um, you know you can put down to you know the start of the season and things not clicking yet. But um, I'm sure they will really soon because we're all training pretty well. Yeah, we've seen Edo Nabula go close on a number of occasions, and uh, well, you, you, you're playing bloody well on the on the field at the moment. So continue to do so, and uh, all the best against the Hagueras this weekend. Appreciate your time, Aiden Toa speaking from Argentina. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Christy. Thanks for having me on. Uh, good to hear from Aiden Toa, and hasn't he started the season well? And and I don't know about what you guys are thinking, but the thing for me this year with Aiden Toa is he's he's stringing good performances together. Inconsistency was probably the hallmark of his time. Inconsistencies and injury, I guess, to an extent, the hallmark of his time at the Brumbies. But just over these last few weeks, just reliable and and consistent at the back for the Reds. Bang, bang on. And and I think partly to do with that is he's just come off a a successful season as well in Japan where he said that, like Jack Debrusini, the two of them played together in Honda at Honda Heat. And uh, they really enjoyed their rugby together. But... I think we saw at the Brumbies there was time, and you, and you mentioned inconsistencies with his kicking game particularly, and, and he looks like he's got a, a game plan of what he's what, what trying to achieve at the moment. And uh, I, there's no doubt he's got supreme pace. He's got a pretty good left booter behind him. So it's been a handy bet, uh, pickup for the Reds since he signed in, in late January. Yeah, they were crucial, those pickups of him and John O'Lance. I mean, yeah. they, they initially weren't there, and then obviously Quade Cooper, Cutts, um, and Carmichael Hunt, uh, which Brad Thorne didn't uh, count on that one. He obviously expected to have him there. So, yeah, the fact that they were able to um, scramble in the market and get those two uh, more senior guys, because it is, an, as he spoke about, an incredibly young um, team in general, um, backline and forward pack, um, just to give them a little bit of experience to steer them around the, the park has, has been absolutely crucial. And, yeah, they're, they're certainly building something there at the Reds. Indeed, and see if they can continue against the Jaguares in Argentina this weekend. Still... No work on your pronunciation, Jaguares. You had your whole whole week. Could have come up with something slightly more polished. And well, I appreciate the feedback, guys. Thanks. I, yeah, I've, um, I was going with the Jaguares, but I think... Um, oh, you were rolling the R. But now it's Jaguares um, seems to be the, the current uh, trend with the likes of Andrew Swain, who had a oh, great yes. great call on the, on the weekend. So yeah. it's... Uh, 
It's a watch the space sort of scenario. I'll check with Greg Clark. He is uh, the, the man of uh, pronunciations. Now, uh, what's coming up this weekend? What do we talk about? Yeah, I think, well, should we save the sort of Waratahs Rebels to, to last? That's the that's the big one, isn't it? So sure. um, there's, there's plenty in the build-up to that. Should we, should we look at... Brumbies Sharks. Um, this this has become must-win territory for the the Brums now, isn't it? Um, we, we didn't see this coming, but they're they're really on thin ice now with the Rebels streaking ahead in the conference. The Reds um, they're going to be competitive, and and suddenly um, uh, we know that David Pocock uh, will come back and w- he'll help. But they he's not Superman, um, and and they've, they've really got to nail this one and, and and roll over the Sharks, which I think they will do. But it's not going to be easy. Well, they're, they're nine points adrift of uh, the Rebels at the moment in the Australian Conference, so. Yeah, they, they really need this one to keep in touch. Yeah, it was interesting as well hearing Christian Lathano after Friday night's game talk about the fact that they're not going to go away from what they're trying to achieve at the moment. And that's something that Dean spoke about as well. I think like, it's not going to happen overnight. So it's a must win though, isn't it? And, and the Sharks, they haven't been particularly impressive. They, they beat the Sunwolves last weekend and, and put 50 on them. But uh, I think you'll probably find most sides will, will probably do that throughout the year. Yeah, a huge factor that they've spoken about themselves. The Brumbies this is their first home game, so that needs to be taken into account that they haven't started the the season well, but they've had a bit of travel, so that they always clearly play better down in Chile, Canberra. I'm not sure how just how cold it'll be down there for oh, it's them. It's stinking hot until about Anzac Day. And yeah, and it's freezing a sudden switch, off. but yeah, that that'll be huge for them, um, and, and they'll you know get get back into their uh, their, their bunker mentality and uh, us against the world, and I, I think they'll they'll big loss though without Josh Manray. Uh, I think. Clearly, Falafang is looking like a, a, a good player, but inexperienced, and, and Man Ray does a lot of work across the ground. Yeah, I'll, I'll disagree with you there. I think yeah, Falafang is a really good prospect, and he might give them the energy that they that they need. Yeah, so correction, my maths is complete rubbish. They are eleven <laughs> points adrift, which is even worse. In so a couple of minutes, will be thirteen, and <laughs> really be panic stations. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, no, they 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 need a win, um, and. You know, it was interesting to hear Dean Mum talk about how long it takes when you try and change the way you play. Um, so we'll see if perhaps this week they can uh, get some pay for uh, these changes that they are attempting to make. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's an interesting one. It's, it shouldn't be that complicated, should it? You can you can keep your set piece um, strengths and then then play a bit more off the back of it. But they they generally do seem a little bit muddled in their in their thinking and, and Christian he came back late in the piece as well Joe Powell he's, he's not playing at his best he's getting a bit uh, he's quite a small guy he's getting caught at the, at the base of rucks and dropping a bit of ball and getting a little bit rattled so well at yeah, 9, I think, 10, 12 they're, they're quite small really in general and, yeah. and not a huge amount of explosive speed either so um, the Jaguares no matter Very how good. much you want to pronounce it uh, pronounce it um, and the Reds uh, on Sunday morning how are you seeing that I think that the Reds won't be uh, thanking them hates the Waratahs too much because when the Jaguares are confident, um, Argentina as well, um, when, when they get a little bit of confidence, they suddenly become a, a very difficult team. So, yeah, I just fear that the, the Waratahs have given them that, that huge uh, dose of confidence now and, and they get to stay at home and, and uh, you know, have all those good vibes throughout the week. And I think we might see another another good performance from them. And I think the, the Reds, they'll, they'll get into another arm wrestle um, um, no doubt, but, I, but I, I find it hard to see them pulling this one off over I, there. I just can't see the Reds giving um, the Jaguars 
enough or as many opportunities as the Waratahs gave them with yep. you know turnovers they coughed up a lot of ball um, they basically in many ways handed it to them and I, I can't see that the Reds will do that I think it will be much more of a, a struggle yep. um, see if uh, they can come through it well you've really sat in the fence there Nick That's no no sure. I, 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 I think the Reds can win it for that reason I think defensively they've shown themselves to be to be very good and they, they will they'll, they'll grind it out could come and down to goal kicking and discipline. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think I think the Reds can win that. Yeah, what I'm interested to see about them is we've seen them come up against a couple of sides relatively structured, and to come up against the Huggers, they're they're a side that's going to throw the ball around. They pick and drive. There's a lot of offloads. How the defensive line. Uh, goes against a side like that will be very interesting. And certainly, I'm not actually sure who the referee is for this one, but certainly the, the scrum interpretations when you're dealing with English and Spanish, that all becomes pretty crucial, doesn't it? Whichever team you know gets that initial um, advantage and call, that, that can then just uh, sort of steamroll throughout, throughout mm-hmm. the game. So, uh, yeah, I, I hope uh, Brad Thorne and the, the Reds are brushing up on their Spanish. I'm sure they are. And uh, it will be a massive, massive game on Sunday. The Waratahs are back at home after... Uh, returning from South Africa and, and Argentina, and as Dean mentioned, could be a little leg-weary. Uh, they do have the extra day, of course, with the Sunday game, taking on the Rebels. And on form, how could you how could you bet against the Rebels? Yeah, well, I certainly won't be. Yeah, yeah um, I think the Rebels will continue on and, and get the job done here as well. Um, yeah, the, the Waratahs, obviously, the travel factor on top of um, the Rebels being being in red-hot form. Um, it, it all leans their way, but it's great that we've got um, a big feature game to, to hone in on this weekend. It, it should be an absolute belter Sunday afternoon. Um, always great for the, for the fans, so... I hope that the the Sydney fans haven't been turned off by that uh, performance in, in Buenos Aires um, because, you know, you're going to get the cream of the crop of Australian rugby in a lot of ways, aren't you? Some some huge names uh, going at it with all the all the stars and the Rebels up against uh, Falau, Beal, etc. So, yeah, I, I hope... Um, we've seen the Reds and the Brumbies play more of a grinding style. I, I hope this showcases the best that Australian rugby's got to offer on Sunday. Yeah, fingers crossed the weather's good and conducive to running rugby like team news I know Nick Phipps is in major doubt he's still not right yet uh, Ned Hannigan looks like he's also going to miss the game with an AC injury mm. uh, better news though so Kopi Kepu yep. Rob Simmons should be back so certainly they're going to add a, a heck of a lot the, the, what I've just been uh, concerned about the Tars with is, is that they just seem to be playing the game and, and they have to I suppose given their light pack but at a million miles an hour and they're trying to they're not getting many phases together and it's pretty difficult to win a game when you're not getting more than six phases uh, at any time when you're getting the ball and, and they just seem to be turning it over at will. Mm. Yeah, Kepu coming back is pretty big and I saw little signs from Tolu Latu as well. Like When that guy's at his best, he's a really, really good player. The talent's never been an issue. Yeah, um, he's great at the, the breakdown winning turnovers as well. Um, it's Yeah, just it's been a bit strange that no one's been able to really consistently get the best out of him. But yeah, the, the upside's pretty massive with uh, with Tolu there, so ho- hopefully he can play his best. Australian rugby in general would like to get the best out of Tolu yeah. Latu because that, that hooker situation is a whole other discussion for another day. Um, Alright, just uh, briefly, let's roll through through the other games, um, just for a, a quick tip, uh, the Chiefs and the Bulls? Uh, yeah, we'll go the, the Chiefs. Uh, they're still injury ravaged, but yeah, no, no surprises there. They should probably have enough firepower to, to deal with the Bulls. Agreed. Yeah, yeah, did okay, I. There we go. Um, Highlanders and the Crusaders, we saw, we saw the Hurricanes and the Crusaders last week. Uh, that was a hell of a game for 40-odd minutes and became a bit of a grind in the second half. 
Um, but this has the potential to be something pretty special as well, the Highlanders and the Crusaders from 5.30 on Saturday. Yeah, the Highlanders have been pretty impressive. It's their third straight home game uh, in, in between a bye and their second round. So you, you flip that with the Brumbies, who are finally having one. It's been interesting. The Crusaders are injury-ravaged. They were never going to win once they lost Sam Whitelock and, and Ryan Crotty in the opening stages against their clash against the Canes. They'll be up for this well and truly. But the Highlanders are, are showing showing something about them. And with those with that halves pairing and with Aaron Smith and, and Lima Sopawanga, they're, uh, they're very, very challenging. Yeah, they're a little bit like the Waratahs, aren't they? If they keep their key spine together, the, the two Smiths and, and Sopawanga, um, Nahola on the wing, they're, they're yeah, uh, an incredibly dangerous team. So, yeah, I think they can uh, hand the Crusaders back-to-back defeats, which uh, no one would have seen coming probably a, a week or so ago. All right, we've talked about the Brumbies and the Sharks, the Australian game on the Saturday night. Uh, the Stormers and the Blues early Sunday morning. Just a, a quick tip. After the Blues beating the, the Lions, which... <laughs> Remarkable. Yeah. You, you kind of gloss over it because we're, we're talking from an Australian perspective here. But that comeback, four tries in the last 20 minutes, two in the last five minutes, to down the twice runners-up of the competition, that's a huge result. You would think that with the Stormers having been on tour for three weeks, not got a win, coming back home, flying all that, that long journey from New Zealand to back to Cape Town... I reckon the Blues are going to go two on the bounce, and uh, that will that will help them in terms of from a New Zealand conference perspective getting back into that. Yeah, I'll tip the Blues as well. It's a tough one for the Stormers, isn't it? It's not really a home game at all when you, you're the one having to do all the travel and the Blues just, just go up the road. So, yeah, I think we'll see another high-scoring game and another Blues win there, which um, yeah makes the New Zealand conference there'd, even more yeah. spicy. There'd be a few coaches really questioning this draw, I think, at this stage of the year. Uh, every year. Uh, yeah, I agree. Blues there. Um, not a lot of discussion needed for this. The Lions and the Sunwolves. Lions? Lions. Yeah, Lions. yeah. The, the Sunwolves, uh, I love the Sunwolves. They'll, they'll, the they'll score a few points and um, they'll, they'll give it a shake for a while. But yeah, uh, you know, the Lions will be pretty angry after losing to the Blues. All right, and then we uh, had the Haguaras and the Reds and, and the Waratahs and the Rebels. So uh, a couple of games huge involving Australian Sunday. sides. Huge, huge games. Uh, that will about wrap it up, I think. Big thanks to Aidan Tyre and especially to Dean Mum popping in and uh, he's off to the North Pole next week and we wish him all the very best and thank you for uh, your time and, and listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast.